Amen. Amen. Folks, I always look forward to Sundays being with you, but I just want to share with you, I, I really looked forward to today, and I, I needed this. You know, I, to go from Sunday to Tuesday isn't too bad, you know? It's like, okay, Tuesday, refuel, I get to be with, with all of you, and, and, and we get to be together, but sometimes, some weeks from Tuesday to Sunday, by Friday and Saturday, I'm twitching, you know? It's like... So I, I really appreciate seeing you all and being here with you all today. Um, I certainly want us to stay in the moment of worship that we just were in, but because we're going to be ending with communion today too, just wanted to remind us of a few important things. Ladies, don't forget that this Thursday there will be no women's Bible study for one week, but the Bible study will resume on Thursday, October the 10th. So don't forget about that. Men, I talked with you men about iron sharpening iron last week, and I'd just like to encourage you to really consider, block off that Saturday, pray about coming and joining a group of men from the Oasis. I, I guarantee you, you will not regret it. It will be a wonderful day. And the great thing about this is it can be from guys who are teens all the way up to those who are in their 80s and 90s. It doesn't matter. We would love to take a large group of men from our church to this event this year, first Saturday in November. So be thinking about that. Um, Next week is our potluck Sunday, the first one we've had for a while because we take the hot summer months off. So we would encourage you to go back, talk with Debbie after the service, sign up. We would love to have a big time of fellowship. Get to know some of you better. That's what this is all about, connecting with each other, building friendships and relationships. And it's a great way to do it beyond just seeing each other for a few minutes on Sundays and Tuesday night. So next Sunday, right after the service, we'll go over to the cafeteria. Uh, Steve and Debbie got a wonderful menu plan, but we want you guys to bring dishes to help fill in all of that. And speaking of our potluck, and this goes to the last announcement about our foster group home, uh, this whole month has been a reminder. If, if you're interested in helping to volunteer at our foster group home, and we want you to go out there after the service and Talk to those guys and gals out there and see if there's a, a place for you uh, in that ministry. But speaking of our foster group home, we're hoping to have them with us next Sunday for our uh, potluck. So many of you who aren't actually in the home and all of that, you will get to meet those young men and the people that work with them next week, Lord willing. So be thinking about that and praying about that this coming week as well. It should be a wonderful weekend uh, that we get to gather here together. Second Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. We're continuing our study of the book of Second Peter. And this book, like no other book of the Bible, is a great encouragement, motivation, inspiration for us to make spiritual growth the priority of our lives as Christians. And that's what Peter's been doing in the first 15 verses. He's been inspiring us to make our spiritual growth the priority of our Christian life. 
And he's been giving us, up to this point, great incentives to do so. But obviously, there's a couple things to consider. There are many Christians that may go, well, you know, I know that in order to grow, that's going to demand great sacrifice. No doubt about it. Peter hasn't, you know, whitewashed that at all. It is. It's going to take sacrifice on our part to spiritually grow. And so many Christians sometimes wrestle, wrestle with the fact of, is it really worth it in the end? Are, are all these sacrifices really going to be worth it? How can I be sure that what I'm going to invest in for the rest of my earthly life will one day pay off, if you will, throughout eternity? And so that's one of the things that Peter's going to talk to us about. And the second thing is, is this. How can I make sure that, that my commitment to spiritual growth, that, that I'm going to stay on track? And how can I stay on track? How, how can I not get discouraged or distracted on this path of spiritual growth? How can I stay committed to this and stick with it over the long haul? Peter has, I think, answers for us in the passage we're going to look at this morning. In fact, follow along as he gives us an answer to these questions and concerns, beginning in 2 Peter 1, verse 16. Using his own personal testimony and the testimony of the apostles, he says, We did not follow cleverly concocted fables when we made known to you the power and return of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, we were eyewitnesses of His grandeur. For He received honor and glory from God the Father when this voice was conveyed to Him by the majestic glory. This is my dear Son in whom I am delighted. When this voice was conveyed from heaven, we ourselves heard it, for we were right there with Him on the holy mountain. Moreover, we possess the prophetic word as an altogether reliable thing. You do well if you pay attention to this as you would to a light shining in a murky place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you do well if you recognize this. No prophecy of scripture ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination. For no prophecy was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Again, Peter is recognizing that there's going to be people who say, how can I be sure that all the sacrifices I make to invest in spiritual growth are going to be worth it? And how can I keep to my commitment of spiritual growth without getting distracted or discouraged? Peter answers that in this passage today. And the first thing he wants to remind us of in verse 16 is that we, using we, we the apostles have staked everything, our whole life and eternity on Jesus Christ and his claims. He said, look, you have to recognize what I'm asking you to consider what I'm encouraging you to do as a Christian and inspire you to do as a Christian in my own feeble way is to ask nothing of you that I haven't been willing to do myself. I was willing to leave everything and, and die to self to follow Jesus 
Christ. We didn't follow, he says, these fables, and, and this isn't myth. This is as real as it gets. And Peter says, that's the only way it could be for me. Because I'm not going to die, which he eventually did. I'm not going to die for something I'm not sure of. I'm not going to give up everything in my life to follow this man, Jesus Christ, if I'm not convinced that he is who he said he was. And so Peter is basically throwing it out there saying, what would you say about us as the apostles? Is not our witness and our eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ worth something? Does that not at least give you some assurance and surety that we were willing to lay everything aside for this man and who he was. And Peter says, we made known to you his power. We firsthand saw the miracles that he did. We were there. And, and we even relayed the return that he was going to have one day. And this is coming from a guy that knew that he had died. And so Peter, in a sense, is saying, you realize I believe he's alive. Uh, how can he return if he's not alive? If he's still dead and he's still in some grave somewhere, how can he return? I relay to you the fact that he's returning because I actually saw him risen from the dead. And this isn't some fable, folks. This isn't some, you know, I wasn't hallucinating. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't dreaming it. This actually happened. This is as real as it gets. And I am willing to be martyred. I am willing to die for this. That's how real it is. And so when we talk about how can I be sure, one of the things that the Bible includes is all the eyewitness testimony and all the testimony of the apostles who followed Jesus. And let's remember, these guys and gals had a real change of heart. And it's really hard for skeptics of God and his existence and, and what the difference Jesus can make in a life and even those who doubt the word of God to explain away the change in people's lives. If God isn't real, if Jesus Christ didn't really rise from the dead, how do you explain a skeptic even like Saul becoming the apostle Paul? You explain that to me. How does someone who persecuted the church and who put people in jail for the, you know, who were followers of Jesus Christ. Explain to me how he makes a 360 degree turn in his life and now becomes someone who's willing to die for Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ isn't real, why would he do that, you see? Why would Peter do what he did? And so Peter is saying, we're not following miss here. This isn't something made up. You know, this is real. And we wanted to remind you of that. And for Peter, there could be no higher reality than being an eyewitness of the events on the mountain that he relays here in Second Peter chapter 1. The Mount of Transfiguration, as it's called in the New Testament. See, that word eyewitness there is actually a very technical word in verse 16 in the Greek language. It means not only one who's firsthand there, but as is close to something as humanly possible. That's what Peter's trying to relay. He's saying, look, 
I, I'm not relaying something to you about Jesus from what I heard, from what somebody else heard. He says, I was as close as any human being can get to Jesus Christ. I was as close as you're going to get to this experience that I'm about to relay to you that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. There could be no more credible witness. There could be no more credible eyewitness to what I saw on that mountain. And obviously, being a follower of Jesus Christ for three years, Peter could have relayed a lot of different experiences. He could have relayed a lot of different events in his life. Why he chose the events on the Mount of Transfiguration, I don't know the answer to all of it. But I do know this. Isn't it interesting in this passage where Peter's writing that out of all the events in his life he could have chosen to sort of give to us the reality of Jesus Christ, he chose the events of the Mount of Transfiguration when the Bible says that Jesus just gave Peter, James, and John, those three disciples on that mount with him, along with Moses and Elijah, just a glimpse of his glory for just a a split second. Because we remember that God the Son sort of laid aside the independent use of his godly attributes when he became a human being, fully human, and he veiled those attributes for the most part for the 33 some years he was here on earth. But at least on the Mount of Transfiguration, he again, wanting to assure his followers, his closest followers, he gave them a glimpse into that glory for just a second. But you'll notice as we read, Peter doesn't even talk about that part of the whole experience. No, the thing that stuck out in his mind was this voice that he heard. He says, man, a couple times he talks about the voice. The voice of, as he knows it, God the Father coming from heaven. And it was this voice that riveted him. It was this voice that caught his attention. And it was what the voice of God the Father said. This is my son in whom I am delighted and well pleased. Peter never forgot the word of God. And I think that's partly what he wants to convey to us. And you're going to see how that ties in later on. So Peter was right there. In fact, he says that in verse 18. We were right there with him when all of this happened. Again, Peter saying, you can call me a liar. You can say I'm making this up. You can say I was on drugs or I had a little bit too much to drink or whatever. But Peter is saying to all those who are willing to be objective and listen, Peter says, I was there. I saw it. I was as close as you can get to it. And after I experienced this, along with all of my other experiences, I was convinced that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That he was the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one would ever come to the Father except through him. That there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. That Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter said, I was willing to die for that. I was willing to stake all of eternity on that. And that's how you can be sure, Christian, 
that though it will take great sacrifice in our life to spiritually grow and to stay on the path that God wants us on, in the end, when we get to that day where we stand before God, who does exist, who is alive, and when eternity, forever, unbroken eternity, is opened up for us, it will be worth it all. Paul even said, the sufferings of this life will not even be worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us one day. So Peter is saying, you can be sure. And your assurance of you staying on that path of spiritual growth and making the sacrifices to grow and to follow Jesus Christ with all your heart, you can base that on me. I'm willing to be part of that assurance in your life that keeps you going when the days get hard. Notice, and for Peter, his experiences, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, as well as all of his other experiences as a follower of Christ, was bolstered by the Old Testament prophecies, which is what he says down in verse 19 after he relays the details of the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, moreover, we possess the prophetic word as an altogether reliable thing. Peter is saying, here's something else that should bring assurance to you. Everything I experienced with Jesus, including my experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, had been predicted in the Old Testament. And all those Old Testament prophecies... I saw unfold and be fulfilled in my walk with Christ over and over and over again. So Peter's saying to us, not only did that even make me more sure that Jesus was who he claimed to be, but then that started to do something else in my life. That started to get me to really trust and know how reliable and dependable the Old Testament was. That everything in it was true. In fact, as I walked with Jesus for three years, you know one of the things Peter would say to us that he kept hearing out of Jesus' own mouth? The reliability of the Old Testament. It was Jesus who would say, you do know that the story of, of Moses and all the people being delivered out of Egypt, that, that really happened. And, and you know the story back in Genesis about Noah and the worldwide flood Jesus would say, you know that really happened. And, and you, you've heard about Lot, right? And Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, yeah, that really happened. And over and over and over again, Jesus would reaffirm his own belief in the reliability and dependability of the Old Testament, that God's word can be trusted. In fact, for those who deny that the Bible can be trusted today, you have to take that up with Jesus. Because Jesus believed in the reliability of the Old Testament. That they weren't fables and myths either. Even stories like Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. Jesus believed that that was true. So people who say, well, I believe that Jesus is a good moral person. How can he be a good moral person if he lies about the reliability of the Old Testament scriptures? Can't have it both ways. And so that's one of the things that Peter's saying here in verse 19. We possess the Old Testament prophetic prophecies and they are absolutely 
reliable. There's something else Peter's saying here before we move on. And that is the fact that the Word of God is even more forceful and sustaining of a foundation than any experience you and I could ever have, no matter how glorious that experience is. Why? Because the impact of experiences will fade over time. But the Word of God is an ever-present power in our lives. That's important. That's why he says in verse 19, I'm relaying to you an incredible experience from my Christian life. I saw the Lord Jesus transfigured. I saw his glory for just a moment. God allowed me to see Moses and Elijah. But Peter is saying in verse 19, for those again who are struggling with, is the sacrifice worth it all? Can I be sure it'll all be worth it in the end? And how can I stay on track and not get discouraged and not get distracted? Peter would tell us the primary reason and way to do that isn't through experience. It's through the word of God. Because Peter says, experiences, again, no matter how fantastic. And I would say the experience he had on the Mount of Transfiguration was pretty fantastic. Peter says, the impact of that will fade over time. In fact, think about that in Peter's own life. Think about how high, in the right way, Peter would have been coming down off that mountain from that experience. I mean, he would have been like you and I every once in a while in our Christian life who had some great experience with God. We'd have been like, whoo-hoo, man. I can conquer anything. I can do anything. I, I am on a spiritual high. You know what? We can, we can maybe sustain that for a couple days or maybe even a couple weeks. Because you think about Peter. In just a couple years, this guy who had this experience was the same guy who said, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that guy who's about ready to be crucified. You see, experiences alone will not provide the surety and the sustaining power that we need in our lives. It's the Word of God that does that. That's even why we do what we do this morning every once in a while. Because we do it in obedience to the Lord. And why does the Lord tell us, do this in remembrance of me? Would you not think that what Jesus did on the cross and all that that entails, that the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, dying for us, giving up His life, shedding His blood, would you think we would need to be reminded of that? Yeah. Because the experience fades over time. That's why, you see. And that's what's wrong in our culture today, especially in America amongst even many Christians. Because the world and its way of thinking has crept into the church. And that has created a group of Christians who are now seeking experiences primarily. And being carried in their Christian life from one experience to another... And it's almost like, okay, I get this 
experience, and then I'm hoping and praying that that experience carries me to the next experience. And what I can share with you from God's Word is that's never the way God intended it to be. Oh, God will give us some experiences. But those experiences should just tie in with what God's Word and what the Holy Spirit is teaching us through His Word and just be something added to it, not what we primarily base our foundation of our life on. And yet we live in such an experiential world today that that's where Christians are. That getting into the Word of God every day and letting the power of God's Word sustain us isn't as appealing or again, sexy, if you will, then, oh, I just, I just need this experience, and then I'll look for another experience. Peter says that won't work, because it'll fade. And just like someone maybe on drugs, you just need to keep getting, going from one high to another high all the time, instead of just living every day, in a sense, in the power and presence and peace of God, through His Word, that is an altogether, Peter says, reliable thing. You see, one of the things Peter's also reminding us of in verse 19 is that the Word of God is reliable. And that word means sure, it means certain, it means dependable, it means it can be trusted. That's what Peter is saying here. The Word of God is reliable. In fact, more reliable on a day-to-day basis than even our experiences are. And Peter had the experience of the Mount of Transfiguration. But Peter is saying in verse 19, as great as an experience that was, that was not what sustained me. What sustained me was the altogether reliable Word of God. And folks, this Word comes from a trustworthy God. And that's why Peter goes on to say, that's why we need to pay attention to it. Because it's reliable. And I don't want to take up the entire message today. That This isn't the time or the place. But I will say this briefly. There has been no book in the history of the world that has been more scrutinized and attacked than the Bible in the last couple thousand years. And yet, it stands. And you can even be here today. And you may have heard in your life, or you may even think, well, I can't trust that because there's errors in it. I will share with you, and those of you that are listening to this message over podcast this next week, I will give you the same challenge that I've given for years. If you think there's errors in this book, you show me where those errors are. You prove to me that this book has errors in it. Because I will tell you, from my perspective and from my years of study, I will challenge anyone to come up with what errors are in this book. You see, this book has way more manuscript evidence than any other book that down through history. It has not only more manuscripts, but it has more accurate manuscripts. We could go on and on as to why the book we hold in our hands today 
is reliable. But folks, it is. And when you are doubting whether it's going to be worth it all one day, and the sacrifices that you are making as a Christian, the first place and the very last place you and I need to turn is the Word of God. It will keep us on that track. It will keep us from being discouraged and distracted because it's something that we can carry with us every day. It's why Peter says we need to pay attention to it. And notice Peter goes on to say, pay attention to it like you would a light in a murky, dark place. Because Peter says the world that we are living in can be really dark, filled with spiritual darkness. And the only light that many times we have is the Word of God. By the way, the word light here that he uses is a really cool word. It means a portable lamp. Because that's one of the great things, again, about the Word of God. We can take it with us. And I don't even mean physically take it with us. I mean we can internalize it to the point where we have it in our heads and our hearts, and we can literally take the Word of God every day, everywhere we go, It's with us, like a light in a murky place. And so Peter is saying, because of its reliability, because it is sure, because it is certain, because it is dependable, we as followers of Jesus Christ need to pay attention to it. The words pay attention in the original language means to carefully consult and navigate by. In other words, Peter's saying, Christians, this book should just constantly be in front of us. And and we should be navigating our life. We should be continually consulting this book like a light in a murky place. If we as a Christian feel like we are stumbling around in darkness and we are confused and we lack clarity and all of that, we need to get back to the Word of God because God says of His Word, it is a light in a murky place. Pay attention to it. More than even the experiences. And I am not anti-experience. God is not anti-experience. God is simply lifting his word up above any experience. Because no matter how great and glorious of an experience, it will fade over time. But not the word of God and its impact. Notice, Peter goes on to say, we must allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts and be the authority over our hearts. This is what he means when he says, we do well, verse 19, to pay attention to this as a light shining in a murky place until the day dawns, until the daylight breaks through, and until the morning star, that which brings light, rises in our hearts. Literally, is set up prominently in our hearts. See, Peter says it's not even just a matter of knowing it up here. It's truly letting the Word of God penetrate our heart and be the authority over our heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, in the Greek, the word cardia, it's not just the physical organ that pumps blood through our body. See, to the Greeks and to the Romans... The heart was sort of the seat and center of people's passions and desires and dreams and and out of which their choices and decisions were made. It it was it was their will and and it was it was all of that wrapped into it. So Peter is saying, here's why it's so important. 
Because God didn't just give us this reliable word to just somehow sit in our hearts and we accumulate facts. It was something that was to hit our heart, to change our life, maybe even to change the direction of our life and to give us assurance every day and encouragement every day, to give us clarity every day as a light that shines in a murky place. But that means we truly have to accept it into our hearts and let it penetrate. That's why Jesus used the parable of the soils in describing the word of God when he says, you know, everyone's heart's like a, like a soil. And some people's heart is so hard that, that the word of God's like seed that just lays on top of that soil and it never penetrates. But other people, their heart is, is soft enough that when the seed of the word of God goes in, it literally goes into the heart and it penetrates the heart and it changes the heart. And it's set up, as Peter says here, as the authority over our heart, which is what the phrase rising in our hearts means. You see, believe it or not... <laughs> The Bible teaches that our heart is deceitful above all things. Did you hear that? The Bible, God says, our heart is deceitful above all things. So that's why, again, in an experience-oriented world, in a feeling-oriented world that has crept into the church, you hear even Christians say, I feel like this is what my heart's leading me to do. Oh, Christian. But this is the way my heart feels. This is where my heart is leading me. The heart is deceitful above all things. See, Peter's saying, you want to be sure? Then don't, don't make the heart the final say of what you do. The Word of God. And you don't want to get distracted or discouraged? Then, then don't make your heart the last word Make the word of God the last word. Because where many Christians have gotten off is they have followed their heart rather than the word of God. And Peter's saying, oh Christian, you want to be sure? You want to stay on track? Let the word of God be the authority over your hearts. Now folks, it's not that God wants us to be emotionless heartless, lacking any feeling. God would have never given us emotions and feelings if He didn't want us to express them. But what God does say in His Word is, I always want your emotions and feelings to be under the control of the Holy Spirit and His Word. Don't ever let your feelings and your emotions drive your behavior. Let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit drive your behavior. Has the Word of God risen in our hearts? As God's Word continues to break through and be that light, have we truly set it up prominently in our hearts and said, God, it's not how I feel. Because again, let's just... There might be a Sunday you don't feel like coming to church. Do you listen to your heart? Or do you listen to God? There might be a day you go, I don't feel like reading the Bible today. I don't feel like praying. I get that. We all there. 
But are we going to let our feelings and emotions guide us through life? Or are we going to let the Holy Spirit in the Word of God? Now, here's the thing, though. If I really don't believe that the Bible is God's Word, if I think it's just men's words to me, then I'll never set it up as the authority of my life. I will always listen more to my heart than I will to God's Word. Because i got to be convinced that the Bible really is reliable. That it's the real deal. That it's unlike any other book that's ever been written. That it's not written by men. And it doesn't have errors in it. It's written by God. It is altogether reliable and trustworthy. And every word that's in there was exactly the words that God wanted to be in there. That's why Peter ends this passage with these words. Verse 20. Above all, in other words, of primary importance in your life, Christian, realize this. That no prophecy, no proclamation of Scripture ever came about by the prophet's own imagination. This, this wasn't born of, of humans. This wasn't started by humans. This wasn't human doing it. This wasn't constructed by human beings. Because he says no prophecy or proclamation was ever born, ever was the result of human impulse. The word means desire, decisions. On the contrary, he says, here's how it came about. Men were literally carried along by the Holy Spirit and they, don't miss these last three words, spoke from God. If I don't believe that God is speaking to me in this book, then this book will never make the impact that God wants it to make. It will never sustain me. I will never be sure in my life. Because if I'm looking to be sure based upon the feelings of my heart, if I'm looking to be sure and steadfast and stick to it and be sustained over my life, with all the sacrifices I need to make to stay on the right path and, and spiritually grow based upon something other than this is the Word of God, Peter says it will never happen. I've got to believe that this is God. In fact, I want to share this with you. Paul writes about the Thessalonians. He says, and so we too constantly thank God that when you received God's message that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human message, but as it truly is God's message, which is at work among you who believe. God's message. God spoke through men. And the word that we have today, even in our hands, is the word that God wanted us to have. So, Peter would say, God is speaking to us, even right now. God is speaking to us. Are we paying attention? What is God saying to you today? How about you, sir? Ma'am? What's God saying? God is speaking to us. And let's remember something I shared a couple weeks ago. And then we'll close. 
Let's remember the gentleness of God as he speaks to us. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago? God will not yell and scream. And God will not drag you and I down a path that he wants us to go kicking and screaming. God won't do that. Most of the time in our life, when God is speaking, as he did to the prophet Elijah, it will be in a still, small voice. Because God's not going to yell. God's not going to scream. He's God. And he's never going to force us to go down a path that we don't want to go. But God will lead us. And God will direct us. And God will give us all the assurance that we need and will give us everything we need to keep from being distracted or discouraged along our path if we simply pay attention to the Word of God. This reliable Word. And if we are willing to set it up prominently in our hearts and let it penetrate our heart and let it be the authority over our That's why the psalmist could say, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. As we prepare to be dismissed to partake of the elements today, and here at the Oasis, what we would ask is simply, if you would go back. Again, we don't want to make you. You may be here today and go, I don't want to take communion. That is absolutely fine. We don't want you to ever feel forced to do anything. But we offer this today for those of you that want to partake of the Lord's table. So as you're dismissed, if you want to go back and get the elements of the bread and the cup, then we just ask you to come back to your seat and wait for all of us to be served so that we can partake of it together as a church family. But based on the message today, here's what I'd like us to focus on. As you go back and take those elements, and as you and I are reminded of what Jesus did on the cross, what is God saying to you today? How is God speaking to you today as we remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ?